different and, and he's approached us all in different ways and, and it's it's always interesting to hear what he's done. Uh, we, we heard uh, from uh, Amelia not too long ago and it, it was really interesting here. It's mostly about things that are going on now, but we heard some things like when she and Horace were about to get married, uh, the doctors were telling her she probably couldn't have children. And uh, and I loved it. She went and told Horace that, and and Horace said, "Well, you know, with God, all things are possible." You know, and now they have what eight, seven, eight. eight children, whatever. I love these stories. I love these stories. Uh, I want to give my testimony, and and a bunch of you have heard it before, and maybe it'll be a little different as we go along. And then I want to talk about things that have been going on more recently, and mine and, and Joan's lives and what we're doing these days and so forth. Uh, but let me just start into it. And uh, first of all, I just pray that, uh, you know, it's, it's all God. And I pray that the Lord Jesus will be lifted up by this testimony, because I think if you, if you get it the way I mean it, you'll see that uh, it was all the Lord. It was all the Lord. And I just was being me all along. And, and he, brought me along and, and he did it, he did it. So I grew up in the Midwest in a town called Rockford, Illinois. And at the time it was the second largest city in Illinois, it was about 100,000 people. I think there may be a suburb or two of Chicago now that are a little bigger than <laughs> Rockford is. But so it wasn't a little town, it wasn't a big city, it was kind of in between. And when I was in grade school, we went to a church in town called the Rockford Gospel Tabernacle, and it was a Baptist-like place. It wasn't Baptist, it wasn't part of formally of the Baptist church, but it was like that. That is, most Sundays there would be an altar call, and people would be asked to come down, you know, and, and uh, confess the Lord as their Savior and so forth. And we were in this church for several years. And of course, there was always Sunday school before regular church. You go there and memorize Bible scripture and so forth and get little stars to put on your name up on the wall and everything as you memorize scripture. So I learned a lot of Bible that way and everything. So when I was about 11 years old, I decided, okay, it's, it's time for me to formally acknowledge and, and, and be saved by God. So I went down. I go down to the altar, and I confess the Lord as my Savior, and I, I ask the Lord to come into my life, okay? And I expected, I fully expected something dramatic to happen. I don't know, a sign, something, you know? And I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel anything. So I did this, oh, about three times over period of about a year, you know, and that, there was one of those kind of churches you could go down again and again and again, you know, that somehow that made it better. Anyway, <laughs> but I never felt anything. I never felt anything. And I, I began to wonder if God was real, if, if this was really, all this stuff was true. Okay, well, that, then about the time I was 13 years old or so, uh, my father decided that church was a little too fundamentalist for the family or something like that, and we moved to the Methodist church. 
And then we were in a Methodist church for some time. And I went through confirmation in the Methodist church, you know, and I was in Boy Scouts and I did God and Country and I recorded Sunday messages and took them out and played them for shut-in women in the afternoon and so forth. But, you know, I still wasn't convinced that, that I really knew that God was real and that Jesus was my Savior. So then graduate from high school, go off to college to the University of Idaho. And, you know, there's, there's nobody there telling me I should go to church. So I didn't go to church. You know, at any rate, there's a lot to do, you know, a lot to study and a lot of activities going on and so forth. At any rate, I pretty much stopped going to church. And I, like a lot of young men around that age, and I, I pretty much convinced myself, you know, this is all a bunch of hooey. You know, this is, there's nothing really to this and everything. And and uh, a low point was, I think, my senior year, uh, a, a, a fellow student asked me to be best man at his wedding. I agreed to do that. And it was right after graduation in June of our senior year and everything. And, and so I was going to be best man. I was best man at his wedding. And we were in the ante room waiting to go out, you know, the, the, the bridegroom's uh, with, with the groomsmen and so forth are there, you know, waiting to go out and the pastor's there and, and you know, he's, he's, he starts to pray for us or something and I don't know, he says something or another and, and I say something more or less along the line of, well, whatever. And he says, well, what do you mean by that? And at any rate, we get into it. The pastor and I, we're in, in the anteroom waiting to go out for this guy to get married and, and the pastor and I just get into an uh a religious argument, you know, and it's getting louder and louder and everything. And finally, the guy who's going to get married says, hey, you guys, you just need to knock it off. I'm getting married here today, you know. And anyway, I still remember that. <laughs> Not good. any rate, so I graduate from the University of Idaho, and then I go on to graduate school, and I'm still pretty much this way. And, uh, and, and I meet Joan when we're in graduate school in Cleveland at Case Western Reserve University. And, uh, and of course, you know, and I, I begin to realize, well, this is it. This is it. This is the one I want to marry and so forth. And, and uh, she was also raised Methodist, but it was kind of a Baptist-like church. I mean, we went there a number of times later when we got married in upstate New York. And so, uh, you know, I went to church with her a few times there, and uh, but but then we got married, and and I'm still not convinced. In fact, as we were going to get married, so we we went back to where she's from in upstate New York. It's a very rural area, up in some mountains there called the Berkshire Mountains, and uh, so we go to the church where her family went, East Chatham Methodist Church. And uh, we go to the pastor and, uh, you know, he wants to talk to us before he does the ceremony and everything. And, and so he asked me, well, you know, are you both saved? And, and he knew John was, he knew her from going to church there and so forth. And I said, well, you know, I go to church a lot. Yeah, but are you saved? Well, I don't know, you know, and he pushes me and I say, well, I don't really know that Jesus is the son of God, you know, and he says, well, 
I can't do this marriage then. I can't marry you two. <laughs> so, you know, we go out of there and Joan's crying and we're going back to her house in the car and everything. And she says, well, it's like I have to choose between you and God. And I don't know what to say or anything. We go home and, and we tell her parents what happened. And her father, who is one of the uh, elders in the church there, very active in the church, one of the strongest supporters, and, and a guy who's kind of fundamentalist in, in his thinking and everything, I was totally amazed. He just looked at us and he said, well, I know somebody who will marry you. I guess he saw something in me that he figured it be all right. This would be good. It'd be good for my daughter too. And Joan's an only child, you know. Anyway, yes. So he knew a guy who had been the pastor there before, who was retired, and and he agreed to marry the two of us. And so we got married. I got married. And we go back to Cleveland. Joan finished her two-year program in social work, got her degree in social work, and started working in a in a family service association there, uh, counseling uh, families, great stuff, great stuff. Anyway, we we go to church sometimes there, and uh, we went to a me local Methodist church there, and it was one of these Methodist churches sort of in the middle of Cleveland, and it was kind of dying, and, and there really wasn't much life there, and we didn't see the point. Everything and so then we we even went to a church called Cedar Hill Baptist Church. Remember that, John? And it was a big place. They were going like crazy. You know, they had three, four, five hundred people there on a Sunday and everything. And the guy was a great dynamic preacher. Everything and we went there a number of times. And I decided, well, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm even though I I don't know that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, I want this. I want this, but I have to know it. I have to know it. I'm not going to just say I, I know it when I don't know it. And so I arranged to meet with the pastor there, and, and I met with him a couple times and everything, and, and he tried to convince me you know, by talking about, I always, I always remember that he talked about these prophecies in the Old Testament where this prophet had prophesied that, and you see a hundred years later it happened and everything, and I'm like, yeah, okay. All right, but you know, that's thousands of years ago. And what has it got to do with me? You know, and I need to know it myself. So we go along like that. And then, okay, I get done with graduate work. We go off to California where I do postgraduate research at Caltech for a couple of years. And uh, we go to the Methodist church there. See, we keep going to church. Well, part of it's because Joan wants to go, but I, I'm all for it. I'm all for it, but I still don't know that Jesus is my Savior. And it was a church that was mostly older people. It was, a, again, kind of a dying church and everything, but they had a young pastor and his wife who were there. And we became very good friends with them. In fact, they became our best friends, Dave and Patty Peters. And we did all kinds of things with them while we were in California. We went we traveled places together, and we would get together almost every weekend and so forth. We seem to do this often, get very close with a pastor and his wife, it seems like. And uh, all right, but, you know, but they didn't, they never asked me if I really was saved, you know. Uh, and Methodist Church, most of the time, they, they don't really ask you that. 
You know, you don't need to profess it in order to get through the door and be an active member and so forth. So finally, we're, we, we leave there and we, I do some more postdoctoral research at Los Alamos Laboratory in New Mexico for a couple of years. And we go to the Methodist Church there a little bit. Joan worked, still working in social services, counseling and so forth. She did in California. She worked for Catholic Social Services in California and then another family service association in, in Los Alamos. Now we go back to Ohio where I get a job as a tenure track job as assistant professor at Kent State University. Okay. And we joined the Methodist Church there. We consider ourselves Methodists, you know. And we become very involved. Well, well we had our two children, Jenny's here. They were twins. We had them uh, when we were in New Mexico, but they're little, they're still little. We go to the Methodist Church in Ravenna. And we become very active in the Methodist Church. I become very active in the Methodist Church, but nobody's asking me if I'm really safe, you know. And in fact, I, at one point I became chairman of the administrative board of the Methodist Church in, in Ravenna, Ohio, okay? But I still don't know that Jesus is my Savior. You know, there were people in that church that I know were saved. You could tell. You could tell who was but, you know, you could go there every Sunday and attend, and you could even get involved like I was, and, and people didn't really ask that, you know. So we're doing that, and then we move just a few miles away to the house we lived in for 38 years or something like that on the outskirts of Kent. And, uh, but we're still going to this Methodist church in Ravenna, next town over. And after a number of years, uh, a friend of Jones started attending a house church over on the other side of Akron, some distance away. And uh, she convinced Jones, she talked to Joan, and Joan thought that would be interesting to do. And it was on Tuesday evenings every other week. And Joan decided, okay, she wanted to go there. And I'm like, okay, if you want to do that, it's fine. It sounds like kind of a crazy place, but go ahead and do that. <laughs> So she starts going to this house church on every other Tuesday. And she does this for several months. And I'm getting a little concerned. You know, she keeps telling me these stories about how these people trust God for everything, you know, for their finances, for healing, for everything else, you know. And I'm getting a little worried that she's going to drink the pink Kool-Aid, as we say here in America, you know. And so, okay, I, I say, maybe I should go and, and see what's going on here. So I go to this place, and it, it really hits me. You know, these people really believe this stuff, and they not only believe it, but it works for them. They get the, I can, You get to know these people, and you know they're not lying. They're not making things up, and they tell you stories about what God has done in their lives, and it's just amazing, you know? I mean, uh, miracles. People driving clear across the state of Pennsylvania on an empty tank of gas because they can't afford the gas, you know, or, or somebody gets in an automobile accident and, and uh, both cars are totaled and everything, but just before the collision, they could see it and they said, blood of Jesus, and they're completely unharmed and the people in the other car are completely unharmed. And uh, they talk to each other afterwards and they can't believe that two cars are destroyed the way they are, and they're perfectly fine. And I'm like, yeah, that's 
not normal, you know, lots of stories. And, and you get to know the people and, and they're real. They're real people and they trust God for everything. Well, we, we become fairly active there, but we're still going to the Methodist church on Sundays. Okay. Then they, they switch. The, 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 the person who's preaching at this thing is coming out of a church in Indiana. And he goes on a circuit every couple of weeks around to several churches over a four-day period. And he would stop there on Tuesday evenings. Kind of a circuit breaker type of thing. Not breaker, circuit writer type of thing. And uh, anyway, he just the guy who's doing this decides he's going to go back to where he, he really comes from down in Alabama. And he's going to go back there. He came up to Indiana just to be in this church that was there in Indiana. And uh, so they switched to another guy, another guy. And he's, he's a, a, a Messianic Christian, you know, he's, he's, he's Jewish, and, but he's become Christian. And uh, well, I mean, just, you know, just have to say it, but the person, the husband at the house there was a, was a farm man and his wife. The wife was the one who really wanted the church there and, 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 and was the one who was really active in it. And the husband was kind of like me. It's okay. I'll go along with this and everything. But when I switched to this Jewish guy, well, he didn't like that. He wasn't nuts about having a Jewish man come to his house every two weeks. Well, way the world is sometimes everything. So at any rate, uh, people said, well, where can we move the house church to? And all that. And, and uh, Joan came to me and says, well, how about we offer our house? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. You know, I love my wife. I really do. I mean, praise God. Anyway. Uh, so the house church moves to our house, and it moves to Sunday mornings. Hey, well, it isn't much. I mean, so every two weeks, a guy comes there on one of these circuit riders coming around, and there's about 10 or 12 of us there on a Sunday. And there's nobody there who can play any kind of musical instrument. Well, Joan can play the piano some, but she isn't going to lead work. So... Uh, we listen to tapes for working before the, we have the message that this guy brings and so forth, and 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 it's good. And we're still going to the Methodist church mostly, so forth. Uh, any rate, uh, a guy comes around on on, on the circuit. The people would ride with the pastor, you know. And uh, guys from the church in Indiana. And this one guy would come around regularly. And, and this went on for a couple of years, two, three years. We're having this house church, going to the Methodist church in Ravenna. And I'm still not convinced I'm saved, but I'm really impressed with the people who are involved with this thing and how much they trust God and what's going on and everything. So this one guy keeps coming around. And, and he, he, he would always come, as soon as he'd see me when he'd come around every two weeks, he didn't come every two weeks, but but every couple months he'd come. And he'd take me aside and he'd say, Brian, how come you aren't saved yet? And I'd say, well, I don't know. You know, I just, 
I, I, I see this works for all you guys and I, I want it, but I, you know, until I know it, I just, I can't, I can't do it. Well, I don't understand that. And he would bother me every time he'd show up. He'd just talk to me. I can't, Brian, what's the matter, you know? And uh, so one time he said to me, well, look, he said, why don't you just sit down and pray with your wife every morning and ask God to reveal himself to you? And he said, I'll come back in two weeks. If you do this for two weeks, and I kind of made a deal with him. If I did this for two weeks and nothing happened, that he would leave me alone. Okay. I'm not sure he would have kept his end of the bargain on that. But he agreed. Okay, I agreed to that. And so they left. That was a Sunday. So Monday morning before I go into the university, get together with Joan, and we start to pray. And we're just simple prayer, you know. And everything. And I feel this thing just starts going all over me. You know, it's like goosebumps, only there aren't any goosebumps. I'm just praying. And, and you know, here I am, you know, PhD in nuclear physics and everything. And I pray this very subtle prayer of God, if you're real, make it clear to me. That's it. Okay. And I don't know, it's just happening. I'm like, what is that? That is really strange. So we pray that. Next day, Tuesday, we get together. It happens again, even worse. And, and it's just, oh, and it's doing it now a little bit. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. And I didn't know that exactly at that time, but it was just amazing. Anyway, we're sitting there, and this is happening like this, and I'm just praying, God, if, if you're real, make it clear to me. And uh, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I just knew this came into me just as clear as anything I've ever known came into me. Uh, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. I mean, it's, I'm just sitting there and I, I, you know, just God, if you're real, make it clear to me. And this is what came to me. It wasn't like God said something about God. He, he said something about Jesus. What came to me, Jesus is alive. And I knew Jesus was alive just as well as I knew what my name was, or maybe even better, Jesus is alive, you know? And, okay, I mean, it, it, this was it. So, 11 years old, I go and ask God to reveal himself to me. You know, it says, well, where is it? Matthew, I think. Chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. I put my glasses on here. Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8. It says, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. So I did this at 11 years old, and I never really stopped. Even when I was telling people I thought there was a bunch of hooey or whatever, I was seeking. I really was. I wanted to know, but I had to know. And finally, now when I'm 44 years old in 1988, in March, I know. I know that Jesus is alive more than I know anything. Well, so then I became kind of one of these crazy new Christians, you know, I mean, I was going around telling everybody, you know, Jesus is alive. I went to the university and told people, you know, <laughs> Jesus is alive. And everybody is like, okay, Brian, all right, sorry. 
you know. Most people there are like me, and they were a little concerned for me, I think, but, you know, they put up with it. And then i go to other Christians, you know, wherever we go, and I'd say, you know, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And they say, yes, yes, I know. No, you don't understand. Jesus is alive, you know. So I got it. I got it, okay? Well, so what happened with the house church? We're having this house church, 10, 12 people, nobody could lead worship, so forth. All of a sudden, in the next few months after I knew Jesus was alive, that house church, boom, just expanded. People started coming in from all over Northeast Ohio, over around the Pittsburgh area, down from West Virginia. And in a matter of months, we went from 10 or 12 people to 50 people coming to our house church. And we had a number of people there who could lead worship. And they would sort of fight over who got, got to lead worship on a Sunday morning and everything. I mean, it's just going crazy. And somewhere in there, we basically stopped going to the Methodist church in Ravenna. This is our church now. This is it. Okay. And, and it was wonderful. It was wonderful. And it went on for a number of years. We had the house church there. In fact, then we built an addition on the house of we there was a separate little one-car garage that wasn't worth anything. This is placed slightly out in the country outside of town, an old Victorian farmhouse built in the 1880s. Uh, at any rate, we put an addition on with a garage down below, a two-and-a-half-car garage, and a great big room up above, 25 feet by 35 feet. Okay? And the idea was this would be the church room. And uh, everybody that was in the church helped build it. We, we would have work weekends, you know, uh, one, one fall where we basically put that building together. And uh, just putting that addition on is, is a testimony in itself. Mm -hmm. we, we started into building that addition. I had about $2,000 for it. Okay. And we built that thing, a really nice addition beautiful thing and, and put up siding on it that looked just like the house and everything with two and a half car garage down below in this nice big room up above. Cost us a total of about $30,000. I kept track. So we went through it and, and we never borrowed money from anybody anywhere. God just kept providing. People would provide money. People would provide building materials Everybody, we did all the work ourselves or, you know, somebody in the church or somebody in the church knew somebody and came and did all the work and so forth. And uh, what I always tell people, you know, uh, several years later, we decided to remodel the kitchen and uh, and it got very expensive. And we, we spent two, three times that and we went into debt to do it because it was like, OK, God gave us the church and he paid for it if you want to remodel the kitchen you're on your own right okay all right that's fine at any rate it was going great guns great guns then a, a guy started coming there from down in the middle of ohio uh and he was very charismatic in both sense of the word and and he kind of became the leader there and everything. And the people from Indiana, where the main church was, uh, recognized the calling on this guy's life. 
and they started to install him as the pastor there. And, and over a few years, uh, it was sort of recognized that he was the pastor. And then he was installed as the pastor. Well, he turned out really to be a wolf in sheep's clothing. He, uh, as soon as he became pastor there, he started telling everybody in the church what they could do and what they couldn't do. I mean, he was a very engaging guy in all kinds of ways, but he just started being totally controlling. And uh, one thing led to another. I mean, you know, like he, he would, he, he'd tell, he was kind of a country and Western guy, you know, and at one point he said, you know, all classical music is of the devil. You know, but country and Western music is okay. I'm like, eh, there's something going on here. You know, anyway, he just got worse. And then he finally got to a point and he wanted to sever the ties with the church in Indiana that had installed him and that all this had come from. And I realized this, okay, I see what's happening here. And I got together with, with another guy also from the university. He was part of the church. And we agreed this had to end, and we contacted the people in Indiana. And uh, he was removed. We, he was no longer the head of that church. Well, then the church really just started to fall apart after that. You know, now, I must say, you know, while it was going on, I was thinking, you know, we would go around and visit other churches. I went around on the circuit with these guys a couple times. It's an amazing thing, amazing stories associated with that. But anyway, uh, it was going great guns. And, and then when he was removed, it's amazing. It just started falling apart. Oh, what I wanted to say is I, I was thinking I would visit other churches and I think, you know, if you guys were just as uh, on fire for the Lord as we are, <laughs> your church would be doing as well as ours. Some of them were struggling, you know. I remember thinking that, and I knew it was kind of like, well, okay, I probably shouldn't think exactly that way, but I couldn't sort of help myself. You know, if you just were on fire for the Lord as we are, you guys would be doing great. So we removed this guy, and things just start falling apart. One person starts having a problem with another person. They never had those problems before. And then other people having trouble with this people. And then people just started falling away. And in a matter of a year, year and a half after we removed this guy, we were back down to 10 to 12 people, not much of anybody to lead worship and so forth. And we realized we need to pull the plug on this thing. It's just, it's not there anymore. And so we, we, we closed the church down, finally, that church. And so we looked around for another church to go to, Joan and I, and, and we found it a church in, in, in Tard Akron, which is about 12 miles away or so. And uh, it was the kind of church we wanted. And, and we became involved in this church. And later it became a vineyard church. It is a vineyard church now. And I remember the first time we went there, uh, there are a couple hundred people there. And they are actually meeting in, in a grade school in the auditorium there. And uh, Worship started, and there are 200 people worshiping Christ, and, and I hadn't experienced this for a year or more now in really good worship, and I just sat in the seat and, and, and wept because it just hit me so 
strongly, okay, this is, you know, it's so great to be able to just praise the Lord and, and be around a bunch of people that are praising God and so forth. Anyway, we became involved in that church and and we became very involved there. And eventually I became an elder and we became, uh, I don't know if we were, the, we weren't their best friends, but we became very good friends with the pastor and his wife there. And we still are. In fact, they were down here to visit us this last summer for a few days. And, and uh, we're still very, very good friends with that pastor and his wife. Uh, so at any rate, we're in that, that church and, and doing fine. Uh, let me see. See if there's something I want to make sure I say. Okay, so how has God used me? You've shown and I really uh, since we got involved this way and been with the church, and then eventually we moved down here a few years ago. Uh, well, when I was first saved, when I knew that Jesus was alive, I started thinking, well, you know, I got to just give up this whole business of being a professor and everything. I should go be a, a missionary in, in uh, New Guinea or something like that, you know. And and the people from the church in Indiana that we were associated with were, were smart enough, had been around enough and everything, that they would just come and say, Brian, no, just, just stay where you are for a while and see what God really has for you. And I didn't particularly want to do that. I wanted to stop what I was doing and just go off and serve Jesus. But they convinced me I should just wait. Well, as time went along, okay, so I did that. Time went along. It became clear to me that what God really wanted me to do was to witness for him as a scientist. Okay. And so I would I would do that in various places. I'd get up and give my testimony as a scientist. And, and say how much in love I was with Christ and things he started doing for me. Uh, so, anyway, uh, I would give messages like at this church we became involved with in Akron and everything. I'd give messages on being a Christian, being a scientist who was Christian. I don't want to say a Christian scientist. <laughs> scientist who was Christian. And, uh, and, and, that was great. And at the university, uh, everybody there knew I was a Christian, you know, and so I'd provide my witness there. And when I'm teaching class and so forth, what I would do sometimes is, you know, I'd be teaching some law of physics and I would just say a little something like, well, you see, this is how God did it here, you know, or, or maybe, you know, this is kind of strange, but we just have to realize, you know, this is the way God made the universe, and we need to go ahead and understand it this way. And uh, every so often, students would come up to me and say, you know, I really appreciate you just mentioning God from time to time here in the class at the university. And uh, and I really appreciated that, and, and it encouraged me that way. Once in a while, I get somebody who had a little bit of trouble with it. But at any rate, I would provide my witness that way. Uh, and another guy who's a friend of mine there uh, was also a Christian. We just went out and visited him and his wife in Washington State here in September. Uh, 
we got together and, and we invited Hugh Ross to come and speak at the university. I don't know if all of you know who Hugh Ross is, but he's an astrophysicist who's very on fire for Christ and uh, and has written a number of really excellent books about uh, the Bible and science and uh, it's kind of thing I subscribe to. And uh, he, he's, he's not, it's not simplistic. It's not simplistic what he does. And uh, so he came and, and gave lectures at the university there. I, we, we, we arranged for the biggest lecture hall in the physics department for him to speak in and seats about 200 people and it was full and he gave a talk. And then he also gave talks at the church we were involved with. So at that time was called Community of Believers Church in, in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio, suburb of Akron. And he gave talks there. And then more recently, when I formally retired in 2010, uh, the pastor at the church there in Cuyahoga Falls and I, uh, we, we went to India together. And uh, I spoke at two different conferences for pastors there in India, uh, where these are pastors who are, are starting and have, have small, typically small Christian churches there in India. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to go into this too too much detail, but you know, there there is a there is an established Christian church in India that a lot of people think was started by Thomas. Okay, and it's been there a long time. It's, it's a very small percent of of the Indian population. But in, the Indian population really has no trouble with these people. They've been there for a long time, and typically the families grow up in them in that church, and they stay in that church, and so forth. But <clears throat> try and start a new church in India that isn't that church, that's more charismatic, that, that really is on fire for the Lord, and that sort of thing. Well, Indians don't like that. People of India don't like that. If, 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 if you try and convert somebody who's a Hindu into that kind of church, there's a great deal of resistance, great deal of resistance. They feel that when an Indian person does that sort of thing, they're being unpatriotic, basically. And uh, so, for example, at one of these church conferences where I talked about science and religion for the pastors there, uh, one of the pastors who was there, while he was there, his church was burned down back where he came from. Uh, anyway, there's there's a lot of resistance. But there are some churches there that are very on fire. In fact, both the places I spoke were also associated with orphanages. And uh, these are amazing. The, the orphanages there in India are amazing things. They're really good things. They're really great things. And the kids in there typically are very happy. You go there and they have nothing. They have nothing, but they have each other and they have a place to stay. They have food and, and they get an education. They have school there and, and they're typically very, very happy kids. And it's amazing to see. Any rate, so did that sort of thing. And then a while later, I went with a pastor from the church there in Ohio also to Ukraine. That was in 2017. Same sort of thing. We had a couple different conferences with churches in, in the very 
southwestern part of Ukraine. The war hasn't gotten in that area yet at all. It's right up next to the border with Hungary. Uh, and a couple different conferences for pastor there, and I talked about science and religion. So what do I talk about when I talk about science and religion? What I talk about is the fact that if you look at the history of, of science, it was a lot of it was developed, especially what we call modern science was developed by people who were Christians. Uh, a lot of it, for example, in the 18th, in, in the 18th and 19th centuries, uh, a lot of it in England. You know, I mean, Isaac Newton, uh, what Newton did ushered in, a lot of people say ushered in what became known as the age of reason, you know, which is that you can find a, an explanation for everything, you know, his, his uh, laws of motion and the universal law of gravity, you put them together and they explain how everything interacts, physical objects on the surface of the earth, why the moon goes around the earth, why the earth goes around the sun, and so forth. It seems to work everywhere from little to small. It's a universal law of gravitation, that sort of thing. And people became convinced that you could use, uh, use uh, logic and science to explain most everything, the so-called age of reason, and, and the world went a bit overboard with that. But at any rate, uh, Newton, was, Newton was a Christian, and uh, when he wasn't doing uh, science, he, he wrote treatises on the prophecies of, of Daniel and, and on the apocalypse of St. John and so forth. And um, most of the scientists around that time in, in the 1800s who really started what we now call modern science, what they said and even wrote was that they were just figuring out how God had done it, how God had done it. Okay. If you look at scientists today, especially physicists, a lot of them still are Christian. And a lot of them are Jewish, of course. Some are Jewish, some are Christian, and other religions these days, and so forth. Some are not. And, and, and like most of the rest of modern society, it's becoming increasingly, uh, you find that people aren't necessarily uh, believers. And God, a God who interviewed, inter, you know, uh, does things in, in our personal lives and so forth. But if you, if you really want to find people who are claimed to be atheists, I'm not sure anybody really is an atheist, uh, you know, go to the philosophy department in the university or go to the English department or something like that. Don't go to the science department. But you, you'll always find that a good fraction of scientists, just because you study this, you realize this is not put together in some kind of haphazard way. Somebody knew what they were doing and, and did this in a very, very logical, rational way sort of thing. Anyway, that's the kind of thing I communi communicate, but I do it by going through details. Who did this? Who did what? And so forth. And, and when I uh, teach in, in these schools for pastors about science and religion. Uh, any rate, so now here we are down in Virginia. Uh, we, we left Ohio. We, you know, one, one of the points I, I, I want to make, I guess, is 
you know, so even for me at the beginning, it was, all right, I want to know something. And so I ask God, I ask God. And, and it starts with the question, well, are you real? And the, and the answer for me is yes. I mean, he did it in a way that I had no doubt about it. I asked for that sign. It took some time, but that's the point. Our, one of the main points is, you know, you ask God for direction about something or for something, things happen in his timing, in his timing. And sometimes it happens right away. And that's great. It's wonderful. And sometimes it doesn't. And I've had, I've had a wonderful life. You know, I mean, I'm married to a wonderful woman. We have two wonderful children and everything, but you know, and, and, and I know that God is real and all that. And it's, and it's wonderful, but you know, there have been difficulties. There have been difficulties. I'm, I, you know, it's not as bad as Paul. I haven't been stoned. Okay. And I haven't been bitten by a snake yet. I've seen a few rattlesnakes walking down the trail in the West, but I haven't been bitten by one yet. <laughs> but there have been difficulties. Uh, and what I, what I find when I'm going through these is I seek God. I seek God about this. Okay, what's going on here? What do we need to do? And then I've learned to trust him in his timing, his timing. And, and I know some of you out there right now are going through various trials, some of the people here, real trials, and we've gone through trials. Uh, both of our children married people they met in church, in either our house church or, or the church in Cuyahoga Falls. And after several years, the people they were married to decided they didn't want to be married to them anymore. And this was very hard, very hard. I mean, it was really hard for them, of course, for Jenny, who's here, and her brother, Jim, who's in Minnesota now. And <clears throat> you have to wonder, well, God, what's going on here? I mean, they, they met these people in church, that the, these people claim to be Christians and everything, and now they aren't sure that they're Christians anymore, and they don't want to be married. Well... You know, when Jenny's husband left her, her first husband, she's left with uh, a daughter and a son, and the son has autism at a fairly high level. And I was, and, and, he, and he really just left her high and dry. I mean, no support, no financial support or anything, no moral support or anything else. He just said, I want out. I need out of this. You know, I mean, he made some contact from time to time, but it really wasn't anything significant. And first of all, it wasn't clear how she would get along financially and so forth. And it's been a struggle, but God has provided. God has provided. It's been amazing how he's provided. And, and uh, but, but I remember thinking, okay, you know, She's probably never going to get married again because, I mean, who's going to want to move into this situation where she has these two children and one with a very high level of autism who really has no idea what's going on in the world for the most part, you know, and everything. And now here she is. She's married to a wonderful guy who knew all about her son and everything and has, and has moved in and, is, and loves it and loves her. And uh, 
knows what's going on. And it doesn't mean it isn't difficult from time to time. It, it really is all that. But it's just amazing that God provided such a wonderful husband for her. And our son, well, our son, he's still reeling from this. You know, when, when his life, first wife left him, he, he came to our house. It was, he was living near us in Ohio at the time. And he was in tears, you know. Uh, he just didn't understand this. You know, it's like, I, I did everything God wanted me to do. Why is this woman leaving me, you know? I mean, what she, she was majoring in women's studies at the university. And she'd become convinced that all men oppress women. Where do you start? Where do you start? I mean, she'd been raised in the church and everything, but she got involved in this program and she became very convinced of that. And so she wanted out of marriage. She didn't, she didn't want to be married to anybody, you know. And it broke our son up. And our son is still dealing with it. So he's remarried. And now he has children by the second wife. Thank God there were no children by the first wife. But he's still... He's still one of the nicest people I know. He's a great guy. He has a great spirit, and he and he's great with his kids and family, and 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 he's honest as a day. I mean, he's a nicer person than I am. Okay? Maybe that's not that hard. But anyway, uh, he's a wonderful guy. But but he, he he hasn't found his way back to the Lord. You know, he he's still. So we're still dealing with that, and we pray for him every day, Joan and I do. And he's a wonderful guy, but he just, it's like, okay, I did everything I was supposed to, and it didn't work. So he's still there, and I'm sure Jenny prays for her brother, too, <laughs> all the time. Anyway, there are things like that. There are other things. And, uh, you know, when I went to India to give talk there at, at these pastors' conferences, when we are in the middle of the second one, there... Uh, I talked to Joan, and I found out, you know, she hadn't been feeling real well. It was in November, and uh, and she said, well, you know, I haven't been feeling well, and I talked to the doctor, and, and he decided I should get these x-rays, and uh, she got some x-rays, and she, talking to her long distance over there in India, she says, and you know, there's a mass in my lungs. There's a mass in my lungs. I mean, what does everybody think? A mass in her lungs. It's cancer. Okay. So I, I actually came home a little early, you know, uh, several days earlier than I expected to come home from India. And uh, we went through one thing or another, and, and it turned out the mass in her lungs was a kind of strep infection. It wasn't cancer. Okay. And uh, they had to do major surgery. It was like a three-hour surgery. They went in from the back, and they removed one half of one lung, including this mass and everything. And uh, you have two sets of lungs, and they remove. And one has like three lobes, and the other has two or something like that. The nurse, where's Carol? She probably knows this better than I do. <laughs> and, and they said, you know, we remove this part, and the other one will expand a bit to... to to sort of help with that and everything. And the other half, we aren't touching at all and everything. And, and they said, you know, your lung capacity in the end will just be almost what it was 
to begin with, only slightly smaller, and you never use almost all your lung capacity unless you're climbing Mount Everest anyway or something. <laughs> and so, but there was there was a month or so there we thought she was gone or going to be gone and had cancer, but it wasn't, and she's went through that. And of course, now I think you all know she's going through something again where she has what seems to be the beginning of dementia, although she's she's take, she's got on some new meds and she's been much sharper lately. Uh, her short-term memory is doing a whole lot better. Yeah, I know, Joan, I'm going on too long. <laughs> any rate, my, my point is that it's, it's been wonderful for me. God's done great things for me. I, I, there are a whole bunch of other wonderful things that God has done for me that I could talk about. Uh, but there have also been trials. And the trials keep coming. And But what I've learned from this is that you can trust God. You can trust God, but you have to be willing to go with his timing on things. You go to him, and you ask, you knock, and uh, he will answer. He will answer. And, and I found just in general, when we're trying to make a decision, Joan and I, we go to the Lord. And sometimes what we do is just say, it, it seems right to us, God, that we do this. And if, and if it isn't true, then you need to show us. And I found that he does. He does. You know, what will happen is uh, somebody will come along and say something like, uh, you know, well, you know, so-and-so did what, whatever it is I, we're thinking about doing, and it really didn't work for them. And I well, that's interesting. And then you go another day or two, and somebody else says the same thing. And, and, and you begin to realize, well, maybe God's trying to tell me this isn't a good idea here. Or just the opposite, you know, confirm it. But at any rate, knock, and he will answer uh, in his timing. I mean, just that he was real took from the age of 11 till I was 44 in my case. Why? I sometimes wonder why, but I think he wanted me to go down this path of being a scientist and then turn around and use me as a witness, as a scientist who is a Christian. At any rate, all right, I've gone on too long, and uh, I'll end that here. And uh, just just open up if anybody has any questions for me, or if somebody wants to say a similar sort of thing that is about how you can seek God and He will answer. Maybe sometimes quickly, maybe sometimes after a while. So. Pray. Yeah, well, yeah why, why don't I pray? Lord God, I thank you. I thank you for all the wonderful things in my life. I thank you for my wife. I thank you for our children. I thank you for answering all my questions so far, or almost all of them, Lord. any rate, Lord, I thank you for the wonderful life you have given me and everything. But Lord, I pray now that uh, you will continue to be with us and uh, that you continue to be able to use each and every one of us as a witness towards you and your goodness. God, you are good, and I praise you, and I love you, and it's all about you, Jesus. It's you who did it all. Amen. Amen.